You are listening to Agent Court Church's audio podcast. For more information on Agent Court Church, including service times, how to connect, and campus locations, please visit our website at onechurch.to. Well, happy Easter, everyone. I mean, you just chose the best weekend of the year to be with us. This is the most amazing weekend of the year because it celebrates the most amazing event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk just for a few few short minutes about the implications of the resurrection, how that impacts every one of our lives, regardless who we are in this room. In order to do that, I want to establish a bit of a baseline. If you could take a minute and just look at the people around you. Could you just take a look at them? Just take a look. Do they look different from you? Yeah. You know, it's easy to identify differences, isn't it? But here's the fact about everyone in this room, everyone who's watching online, every one of you has between 4.5 to 5.5 liters of blood in you. Every one of us in this room shares an inordinate amount of similar DNA. We are very similar. And all of us are born into this world. There's a rhythm to your life. There's a beat to your life. We don't often acknowledge it or recognize it, but that beat could best be described as being a beat that's unrelenting, it's non-discriminating, and it's unstoppable. So depending on the generation you're born in, the beat might sound a little bit different. So I'm going to help you. Matt's going to help me help you understand how we're all connected. So listen, if you were a teenager in the 1940s, your beat sounded a little bit like this. Take your fingers out if you would. Would you snap with me? You might want to do a little swing. Just don't hit anyone next to you. Go ahead. If you're online, put those fingers together. In the 1940s, the beat sounded a little bit like this. Now, if you were a teenager in the 1950s, it changed a little bit. It sounded a little bit more like this. Yeah? Well, well, bless my soul, what's wrong with me? I'm itching like a man in a fuzzy tree. A man say I'm acting as wild as a bug. I'm in love. I'm all, I'm all shook, shook up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the 1950s. And, but, you know, you may have been a teenager in the 1960s. And if you were, the soundtrack of your life, it, it changed again. Sound a little bit more like this. Do you know this song? If you do, sing along with Mick. Here we go. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no saddest What do we do though? Well I try And I try And I try And I try I can't get no You know where that goes I mean they could find no satisfaction No satisfaction But thank goodness the 1970s came along And if you were a teenager in the 1970s Sounded and looked a little bit more like this I want to thank Miss Jocelyn, my grade three teacher, who taught me all those sweet moves, all of them. Then came the best decade of music ever, the 1980s. 
And it was so hard to choose a song. There were so many. I just went with the greatest hit of the 1980s, and it sounded a little bit like this. Can't touch this. Yeah. Can't, can't touch, touch this. this. No. I do the dance, but I'm sparing you right now. I'm sparing you right now. So the 1980s came and went, but if you were a teenager in the 90s, music took two different directions. In the 1990s, there was a brand new genre of music. It was called grunge. And if you grew up in the 90s and you were a teenager in the 90s, the soundtrack or the beat of your life, it sounded a little bit more like this. Yeah, that's probably not your thing. It might have been if you're a 1990s teenager, might have sounded a little bit more like this because we're kicking it old school because I'm an old fool and I'm so cool. Okay, you know this song? So you know your part? You got to do it. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Whoop, there it is. Here we go. Whoop, shaka laka laka. Whoop, shaka laka laka. Whoop, shaka laka. I have no idea what any of that means. Thank goodness for the millennial kids, the Y2K, and, and when you're a teenager in the early 2000s, you know what we learned? We learned who ran the world. Girls, girls, who runs the world? Girls. I can tell Matt really enjoys this song. It's a great drum song. Uh, uh, that, uh, you know, Beyonce, she, she had that theme. Now, if that wasn't your speed in the early 2000s, you might want to take your cell phone out, turn the light on, wave it in the air, as this British band was a soundtrack for the, 19, the early 2000s. A band called Coldplay, and with this song, they taught us where we wanted to go. We all want to go home. We all want to go home. Oh yeah, we got some lights on here. We got some committed people. Then came the 2010s. How many teenagers do we have in the house here? Oh, oh, we got a lot of them, okay. See, your generation, you took on the social injustice in this world. You said enough with the political corruption. And so your generation came up with an anthem, an anthem of protest, a serious anthem about serious issues in life. And it sounded a little bit like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know there's two thoughts going through your mind. If you're, my, if you're related to me right now, I know you're really proud. I know there are people here saying, I needed some new dance moves. Wow, you're welcome. And there are other people here, someone invited you and you're leaning over. Are you sure he's your pastor? <laughs> Here's the truth. All of those songs we just listened to, we chose for a reason. All of them are 130 beats per minute. They all have the same tempo. They sound very different, but they have the same beat. So we look around and we see our differences. We look around and we see our generational differences. We're more alike than you actually realize. There's a beat that is going on in our lives, even now as we're talking. It's unrelenting. You cannot slow this beat down. Impossible. 
It's non-discriminating. Doesn't matter our gender, our culture, or our generation. We all have the same beat in this life. And here's the thing. We try to stop the beat. We can't stop the beat. We can't. It's unstoppable. And this beat is marching every human being to the same conclusion. It's the same rhythm for every human being's life. It's incredibly equitable. And the rhythm of our lives look like this. We get up, we go to school, we go to bed. We get up, we go to work, we go to bed. We get up, we retire, we go to bed, we don't get up. <laughs> it's the same rhythm. It's incredibly equitable. This unrelenting, this non-discriminating, this unstoppable rhythm is marching us towards our own mortality, our own frailty, and our own inevitability. We kind of all know it though. We know it, but to meditate on it is so painful because there's a hopelessness in that, in that beat that keeps driving in the background. We do our best to kind of quiet that beat. See, I love the book of Ecclesiastes. It's one of the books that uh, was really instrumental in me finding Jesus and discovering faith because it deals with the philosophical and logical approach to life. And sometimes if somebody just says, you just need to believe something, it's almost like I'm pushing back at that because I'm not prepared to surrender my logic, logical or philosophical approach. But here's the neat thing about the book of Ecclesiastes. It's an experiment. And in it, the man who writes the book he experiments. He does everything he wants in life. He fulfills every desire he has in this life. He uses his money, which he had much of. He uses his intellect and his education, his academia. He uses his power, which he had, to indulge in this life. And he concludes at the end of this great experiment something that I came to the conclusion in life. If this all is all there is, everything is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, we, we know that. All of us come to the same conclusion. If you build a life based on success and achievement, you know, you know this. You probably know this, but sometimes we close our eyes to the fact. We accumulate, we succeed, we get ahead, only to realize we can't take any of it with us. Nothing. No, someone else is going to take it and spend it and use it in a way you never desired it to be done. Or this, you build this life carefully. You build a life, you collect things, you fill your homes with things, you fill your life with accomplishments, and you build this life only to find that at the end of your life, in that moment of frailty, other people are dismantling what you built. You want to pass on to things to the next generations, they don't even want it. <laughs> You're so, That's right, somebody says. <laughs> That's the frailty of life, though. That's the reality of life. If you're fortunate to find love in this life, you always know it's temporary. Because someday it has to go away. Why? Mortality, frailty, inevitability. But the idea of meditating on the meaningless of life, how hope-filled is that? And so we do our best to quiet that beat. We want that beat to be as quiet as possible and not dominate our lives or it would drive us nuts. So when we're young, we try to quiet the beat and we try to mute it and the way we do it is we use our two greatest assets, speed and strength. When you're young, you have this in spades, speed and strength. So we know we're in a culture that worships strength. They admire speed and strength. And usually with speed and strength, you can achieve things. You know what you can often achieve? Success. And many of us, if you're like me, you could buy into the lie that success can somehow insulate you from reality. But when you get to a certain stage in life, you realize 
Success cannot insulate you from the reality of the beat. Mortality, frailty, and inevitability keeps on playing. So when we get older, we get a little wiser, right? We realize, I can't keep up this pace. I can't keep exercising this amount of strength. But the beat, it's still going, and we try to quiet it differently. We try a different method. We try to distract ourselves. <laughs> we distract ourselves so that we're listening. It's almost like uh, uh, looking in a different direction. We, we want to avoid it so much, we want to live in a place of denial. So we distract ourselves. We plastic surgery away the decay. We put lots of filter picks on all of our pictures. <laughs> Everything to take out the line. Where's the filter that just takes out all the lines? <laughs> you know, that's the filter I want on my pics. What are we doing? We're trying to mask the fact that the beat is still going on. We try to deafen it with other noise we put in our lives, all to live in a state of denial. Here's the thing with denial. Doesn't matter what area of your life you're living in denial. You can only deny it for so long. Have you noticed that in life? You can deny that you're struggling with an emotional illness or a mental illness or a physical illness, but uh, friends, there will be a day of reckoning. Denial has a way of catching up with you, and the beat does. It keeps on playing. It is unrelenting. You cannot stop it. It is non-discriminating. It's everybody's journey, and no matter what we do, there's an inevitability about it that we cannot quiet. But what if you could flip that beat? What if you could take that beat that can't stop and you could change it? In 1969, there was a drummer. His name was Gregory Sylvester Coleman. And in 1961-9, he played for a group called the Winstons. And on one of their albums, on the back side of the album, this is when there were records. So if you're younger here, this is before MP3s, before CDs, before cassettes, before 8-tracks, there was, what's an A-track? Never mind, ask your grandfather. <laughs> On the backside of this album, he recorded six seconds of a drum break. It's called the Amen Break, and it changed modern-day music. Those six seconds became the most sampled six seconds in human history, and it gave way to a modern style of music called hip-hop and hardcore. In fact, songs like uh, Out of Compton, uh, Straight Out of Compton, this is the beat that was used. It was Gregory Sylvester Coleman. It sounded a little bit like this. What he did that was so interesting and fascinating is he flipped the beat. He took a straightforward beat and he took it in a completely different direction. What if the resurrection of Jesus was about flipping the beat on your life? Actually flipping the script for your life. The one that you and I were predetermined to live. The one that we are born to. What if everything could change? The beat could be flipped. So, Good Friday. This just a couple of days ago, Pastor Keith talked about that original script. And I'm going to review a little bit so we're all on the same page. You see, in the beginning, God created this earth and everything in it. But it was so unlike the earth you and I know because it had a different script for it. It was the original script. It's the way God intended this world to operate. And in this world, he placed two of our first ancestors, Adam and Eve. And they were to live by this original script and if you could read that script, it's so different than the script that you and I have to live our lives with. 
You know, in that script, it's what's, it's what's amazing is what's in the script and what's not in the script. If you could go back to the original script, you'd realize there's no such thing as the word pain. It doesn't exist. Suffering, it doesn't exist. There's no such thing as the word uh, goodbye. There's no such thing as the pain that comes and is associated with sickness. Loneliness, not even a concept. Goodbye, can't find it in the big dictionary. But what happened was our first ancestors chose to flip the script. They chose to flip the script. They chose to live independent of God. And the ramifications are massive. Have you ever noticed this? I know this is true of some of us in this room. You don't like making decisions. You delay your decisions or you ask lots of people because you know every decision has a consequence, doesn't it? Some of them have good consequences. Some of them have bad consequences. We know this. When Adam and Eve chose to live independent of God and God's original script, when they flipped the script, it had devastating consequences. And they affect not only them, they affected all of us. Because since that day, when Adam and Eve, everyone that was born after them was born into not God's original script, we were born into a broken script. We were broken into a script we chose that feels very unfair. It's a script that was unrelenting, non-discriminating, unstoppable. It was destined for mortality, frailty, and inevitability. And, you know, if you're like me, and you're a logical person, and you're sitting back and you're going like, wait, guy up front talking, <laughs> uh, that's not fair. And you're right, it's not. You see, when the first humans decided to flip the script, fairness ended. And you know that, and I know this. We all know this world is not fair. Have you ever noticed, some people are born beautiful, and they get doors open for them that they didn't earn. It's true, isn't it? It's not fair, but it's true. We know it is. Have you ever noticed some people are born at the height I wish I was? And they can shoot a ball through a little hoop. And they can make millions for it. And they didn't ask to be born that tall. But, but they were. That's true, right? It's just not fair. Some people are born with above average intelligence above average skills in areas. And it's not even what they look, they gotta steward those things, but they're born with it. And it's unfair, it's not fair, but it's true. And we know some people are born with physical limitations. Some people are born with mental or emotional deficits. We know that's true, but I think we'd all agree that's not fair. And friends, you and I, it seems very unfair that the decision of two people could affect all of us. But we were born into a broken script. We were bro born into a broken script that had an inevitability about it. God's original script, it was finished. It was finished. So when Jesus was born into this world, when he came to this world, he chose to enter into our script he chose to become a part of our script. He would know, if you read the Gospels, which I recommend the story of Jesus, it's amazing. He knew what it was to feel suffering, just like you do. He understood pain for the first time on this planet. 
because he entered into our script. He understood the, the, the pain and the pang of loneliness. He understood what it was to be rejected. He knew what it felt like to be falsely accused. A lot of religious people don't like this. But it's amazing how the Bible shares this. That Jesus, think of every way you're tempted. It says Jesus was tempted in every way we were tempted. But he didn't sin. Jesus knew what it felt like to experience loss. And this must have been maybe the hardest of all of them. When Jesus came to this earth, it was the first time he had to say goodbye. Goodbye. See, when he entered the script, the Apostle Paul says it so well to this church in Philippi. He said, though he was God, meaning Jesus, he was fully God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. What's that mean? He gave up his heavenly script. He passed it in, checked it at the door, and as he made his way into our world, he said he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He took our script on himself. It continues to say, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself to obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. Why? We'll get to that in a minute. So while the angels were singing glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men on that first Christmas, Jesus was taking on our beat. Unrelenting, non-discriminating, unstoppable, march towards an inevitable mortality and frailty. He entered into that. But unlike us, he didn't try to avoid it. I mean, I do everything I can to avoid the beat that is marching me towards that inevitability. Jesus embraced it. Why? The writer in Hebrews would say this, but for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? What joy was there in him giving up the original script, entering into ours, suffering in our place, dying on a cross? What joy? Look around you. You're his joy. The thought of being back with you and connected with this creation was such a joy he was willing to endure even the cross. You see, the life Jesus lived just amazes me, friends. He is marching towards an inevitable death. It's almost as if, and friends, if you try to look this up in the Bible, you're not going to find it because there were no Sharpie markers in the Old Testament. It's almost as if Jesus took out, when Adam and Eve made the decision to depart and live independent of God, he took out a Sharpie marker and circled a date on the calendar. He said, that day, I have an appointment with death. I have unfinished business with evil. And he marched towards that day and he would not be stopped. He had an appointment and it was important. It was his creation. But while Jesus lived on this planet, he was born in this manger in Bethlehem, but he grew to be a man and he engaged in the script of life that you and I live out every day. He touched the lives of people. He, he took time with people other people didn't notice. He taught his disciples. He laughed. He attended parties. He grieved. He wept. He got angered. He was moved with compassion. He felt all the range of emotions that you and I felt. He entered into our script. In fact, when he looked around at his creation and he saw how broken it had become, it says he wept. He just wept. 
out of love for his creation. And if you know the story of Jesus, he did miraculous things. It's funny, when you think about the inevitability of life, I don't even understand why he did them at first. And unless you understand why, it doesn't make sense. He raised people from the dead. He healed the terminally ill. He healed the chronically ill, the lame, the leper. He commanded the water. He, he commanded the weather. He walked on water. He fed hungry people. 4,000 in one setting, 5,000 in another. And there's a part of me that goes, why did you do that, Jesus? Everyone you raised from the dead died. The beat kept going. They just died a little later. Everyone you healed, they got frail again. Everyone you fed, they got hungry again. Why did you do those miraculous things? You know what he's doing? It's incredibly powerful. Uh, I don't know if you like movies, but if you like movies, you notice they have trailers or teasers. They're just kind of like, they're, making, they're showing you the best parts of the movie, so you'll pay the money to go see it, right? Sometimes you see the trailer and you see the movie later and you, th you think, man, I should have saved my money and just watched the trailer because all the best parts were in there. It's a teaser. Well, all of those miraculous moments that Jesus had, they were teasers. They were trailers. He was showing us what it was supposed to be like. And he's showing us what it will be like. They were advanced trailers of what was to come in his kingdom. You know, Jesus is amazing, friends. Have you noticed, if you've read the Bible, you've noticed this. People were attracted to him who were so different from each other. Rich people wanted to be with Jesus. Poor people wanted to be with Jesus. Little children were not afraid of him. They wanted to be with him. Older people couldn't wait to get to him. Religious people wanted his time. Irreligious people wanted his time. Powerful people wanted an audience with him, and he gave the audience to poor people. Like, just incredible. Everyone was attracted to him. Why? Why in 2019? Does this music team go to all this work and, and we take, when we get lights out on a day like this to really celebrate what's going on? Why, why do we do that? Because in Jesus, we see the way it should be. See, deep down in each of us in this room, the Bible says that all of us have the image of God. We are made in the image of God. We are made with the original script inside of us. But that original script, it's kind of tattered. It's faded. It's been broken by all the brokenness in this world. It's been broken by the decision of our first ancestors. So there's just fragments of it in each of our lives and souls. So every time we hear the script, see the script, or live the script, there's something inside of us that says, that's the way it should be. When we see a teenager helping a senior citizen, there's something in us that go, man, isn't that amazing? That's the way life should be. When we see a senior citizen in an ICU unit in, in Toronto rocking newborn babies, premature babies, rocking them and holding them in arms, there's something in me that goes, man, that's the way life should be. When we see someone stand up against the injustices in this world, the prejudice, the racism, the sexism, whatever it is, we see the systemic poverty and someone's addressing it, there's something in us that goes, yes, that's right, that's the way it should be. When we see someone forgive someone that we think is unforgivable, we're not only amazed, we're disturbed a little bit. Because we kind of know that's the way it should be. We know this world should be kinder, more caring, and righteous. So when Jesus came, 
Every time we feel that feeling, we're connecting to the original script. Jesus was the aroma, the whiff of redemption, the dream of a better world, the world the way it was intended to be in the original script, the way it was supposed to work. But, but you got to forgive his followers. Everything changed as he ascended into Jerusalem, just days before he'd be executed. The beat that was driving him, that unrelenting, unstoppable, non-discriminating march towards mortality, frailty, and inevitability, the beat began to sound a little different as he ascended into Jerusalem. He knew what was facing him. But he came into Jerusalem and it was sounds of Hosanna. God, save us. Jesus, you're amazing. Save us from our temporary problems. Save us from the Romans. And yet Jesus marched towards an inevitability that he had circled on his calendar centuries before. He would not miss this date, even if it cost him everything. He would be falsely accused. He would be beat, beaten, he would be tried, he would be convicted, and he would be stretched out on a Roman's executioner's cross. And as death dug its claws into the body of the only righteous person that ever lived, the only person that never tried to live independent of God, as those claws reached and grabbed a hold of him, the human script played out to its predictable end. Jesus died. I mean, he died. He died as dead as someone could be. It was predictable. It was inevitable. The human script won. It was finished. It was over. As a broken body, the bruised body, the abused body of Jesus was taken down from the cross, Everyone knew it was finished, friends. Nobody was sitting there going, it's not over yet. Everyone knew it's over. It's over. It's done. Death, it wins again. Death always wins. Evil triumphs again. He was a good man. He was a righteous man. He was the only good man. And evil triumphs in that moment. It was finished. It was over, friends. You know, you think about it, the characters in the story and how they all dissipated, they all recognized Jesus was dead. Nicodemus, he was a Pharisee, a religious leader. Earlier in the Gospel of John, he came under the cover of night to meet with Jesus because he was so perplexed by Jesus' teaching. And he said, how do I become a part of the kingdom? You're describing the kingdom of God. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus scratched his head, being a rational, logical man, said, how can I be born again? How can I go into my mother's womb and be born all over again? And Jesus says, no, 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 Nicodemus. You need to flip the beat. You need to flip the script. You need to be born of the Spirit. So after Jesus died, Nicodemus purchased the perfume and the spices to embalm his body. Why did he do that? Because that's what you do when someone's dead. That's what you do when it's, it's over. It's done. Joseph of Arimathea, 
gave the tomb that he had planned for himself. A rich man gave the tomb so Jesus' dead body could be sealed inside of that. Why did he do that? Because that's what you do when people are dead. You bury them. They're deep down. They're, it's in a dark place. They're covered. It's over. And it was over. And then the women who wrapped the battered body of Jesus. Who would want that job? It'd be both a privilege and horrifying at the same time. And they wrapped him with spices and perfumes because that's how they embalmed those bodies back then. Why? Because you could start to smell the death on Jesus. And the perfume was meant to cover it and mask it. Friends, I've been that, those women. I've tried to wrap my body, my life, to throw myself off the scent that the beat was inevitably leading me towards decay, frailty, and mortality. I've tried to distract myself. I've tried to fill my cup with success. I've tried all those things to delay what is inevitable, to deny what is inevitable. Friends, Jesus' disciples, they knew it was finished. They left. They were done. We had a good run here. We thought he was the Messiah. We saw him raise others from the dead, but he can't even do it for himself. It's over. It's over. We're done. We're out of here. And friends, that inevitability deep down in the grave, death triumphed. Death, death held on to its greatest prize, its trophy. The one who was going to come and change and flip the script He's done. As evil triumphed over him, all the vileness in this world, everything that Jesus stood opposed to, it won. It won in that moment. And there it is, gloating over the broken, bruised body of Jesus. He's dead. But, but, what death didn't realize, when it swallowed up the broken body of Jesus, it had swallowed its own poison. Evil, when it grabbed hold of its latest victim, another victim in a string of victims, all the evil thought it had a victim before it, but it didn't realize it had a victor. That at, from that moment on, all that is evil, all that is death, became terminal. Death is not sovereign. Demons are not sovereign. Disease is not sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. Well, he was alive. He had risen from the grave. He had defeated all that was evil and death and dark. He made it possible. He flipped the script. He made it possible now for us to have a choice again. You didn't have a choice where you were born. You didn't have a choice what family you were born into. You didn't have a choice what nation you were born into. You didn't have a choice what script you were born into. But now we have a choice. And the resurrection changes the way you think and the way you live. Let, let me explain how it changed my life. I, I told you earlier, I like movies. My wife, Shelly, she likes those kind of whodunit type movies. You know, like, who did it? Uh, I, I like those kind of action type movies, like the, the Bourne, anyone seen the Bourne movies? Uh, let me tell you, listen, if you haven't seen it, it's very serious. 
There is a secret agent named Jason Bourne, and he has amnesia. And he doesn't remember all the horrible things he's done in the past, and he's trying to get his life right. He's going down the straight path. But there are evil people from his path who want to kill him. And Jason Bourne finds himself over and over in circumstances where he's not going to live. How is he going to get out of this? And I find myself in these movies. So you watch the movie, and all of a sudden he's in this corner. And how is Jason Bourne going to survive this? The, the, the odds are stacked against him. There's no way out. And every once in a while I start to feel the anxiousness of it. And then I have to say, wait, relax, Jonathan. There's like five movies. He's got three more to star in. I know how this ends. He lives. Friends, when life and life can be really rough and it comes in on you and it's no respecter as a person. He does it. I feel life like you feel life. You suffer loss, setbacks. You suffer the difficult challenges at work or home or wherever it might be. Every once in a while, you start to feel those anxious feelings. You start to feel, but when you're a part of Jesus' script, when you've included him in your life and he's flipped the script, all of a sudden you need to say to yourself, relax, wait, I know how this ends. I know how this ends. Who controls my life? I know that in the end, I win. How do I win? Well, I know this, that death is not final. Because Paul, the apostle, explains it well. He said, our bodies are like seeds. And if you plant a seed, it dies before it brings life to something else. And he says, our bodies are planted and from it comes an imperishable body. Everlasting life that comes from it. So death, he taunts death. And I love how Paul does that. He says, death, so where's your sting? In other words, death is like a bumblebee buzzing around you and it makes you nervous at times because you remember, maybe you've been stung before, but then you have to remind yourself, wait, it doesn't have a stinger anymore. It might make me feel anxious at times, but I know how this all ends. So friends, the resurrection changes the way you live, the way you think, the way you're able to have an opportunity to choose because Jesus doesn't force his script on you. He offers it to us. We're allowed to, and Easter is this incredible opportunity to allow our lives intersect with truth. But the question for maybe you and me is, what are you going to do with the truth? Jesus would make an audacious claim in Scripture. He would say that he's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. How, how, what do you do with truth? I think of it a lot like I do this. I brought this from home. You're wondering what this is. This is salami, of course. Uh, do you, you like salami? I love salami. I love salami. I like buying it in these big chunks because you can just hack off a big, you know, it satisfies your appetite, helps you between meals. But I got to tell you, I've never looked at the ingredients for what's in salami. I don't know what type of meat's in it. I don't know if it even is meat. I don't know what's in this. And here's the truth, friends. Truth, do not, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Some of you, if you're a butcher here and you want to come up and enlighten me after what goes into this, I don't want to know. I do not want to know. Someone did that with hot dogs, ruined everything for me. Do you know what goes into those things? I don't care. I don't want to know. I choose to believe that when I cut into this and there's all these little white flakes, they're vitamins. They're vitamins. And they're making me better and stronger and more healthy every day. Some people... 
they approach God like the salami. <laughs> they approach God and they don't want to hear truth. They want to believe something they want to believe. I want to believe in a God that just loves everyone and thank God, God does. But I want to believe in a God that just uh, uh, covers everything and everything's going to work out in the end regardless who we are and what we do in this life. You know, in the end, we'll all be in a better place. We, we build our truth and our belief systems often on our desires, not truth. And Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. The question I have for you, it doesn't matter if you're a pastor in this room, if you've been a longtime church attender, or you're brand new to this, I'd ask you this simple question. Would you want to know the truth about God, even if it was different from what you presently believe? Would you really want to know the truth? I mean... What if it's not true? What if what is said at every funeral, she's in a better place, wasn't true? Would you want to know that? Do you want the truth? The truth is this, that you and I were born into a script that was outside of our control. But you see the fruit of that script every day you wake up, you see well, a terrible thing we woke up today in Sri Lanka. You see the fruit of the script in this world, the hatred, the, 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 the oppression of people, the injustices in this world. You experience it in your everyday lives. You experience the fruit of that script and we are born into it. And here's the truth, friends. Your best attempt to rewrite the script all falls short. We've all tried to do it. We try to be the good people doing the good things and you know that our best efforts fall short. The truth is, we need someone who lived the script, but didn't bend away from God. Someone who lived the script, but didn't choose to be independent of his father, but remain dependent on his father. The truth is, you and I need Jesus. Now, you might be here, somebody asked you to come, and you're like, man, okay, why does my friend keep talking to me about Jesus? Or why does my family member keep talking about Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because we feel it's unfair to have experienced what we experienced and not share. Honestly, that's why. That's why it compels us to be a people who share. We don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm better than anyone. I really don't. We, are, we say this a lot around here. It's said by someone famous years ago, and I don't even know who. But, but he said this, that we're just beggars telling other beggars where we found the food. That's all we are. We're not better than other people. But to have this truth and not share, it just seems unconscionable. But for some of us, let's be honest, we don't want the truth. We want a version that fits our version. We want a truth that fits our desires. Uh, you know, when I was, before I was serving God and before I was even in part, I'd grown up in a church community, but I left it because uh, the way I slice up life has, is more along the philosophical, logical line. So I'd feel things in a gathering, but I'd be going like, yeah, okay, okay, I got big questions though. And it, and it took a long time for me to find my way back. But you know what I used to say in that season? I'd always say this. I refuse to believe in a God that would send good people to a place of destruction or inevitability. I refuse to believe. What am I saying with my language there? I don't want truth. I want whatever is going to match my desire. Here's what Jesus also said. He said this. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. 
People lie to us all the time in life. I left our Saturday night service and someone grabbed me on the way out and said, Pastor, what a great message. And I didn't know you were such a great dancer. And I knew he was lying. <laughs> I said, I think I just proved I wasn't. <laughs> People lie all the time. How you doing? Good. They're lying. It's often, often. Political leaders, they lie to us. People around us lie to us all the time. Isn't it refreshing in those rare moments where someone's honest with you? Even when it hurts. Have you ever had someone be so honest with you? It was painful, but at the same time, it was almost refreshing. It was almost like a palate cleanser in this world. It just felt like finding someone's willing to say something honestly. And it's even better when they're honest with you in love. Way better in love. I think I know part of the reason why I'm standing here today is because I discovered a man who always tells the truth. And they killed him because of it. They hated him because he told the truth. And Jesus stands before us. And he is. He is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only one that can flip the script. He's the only one that can flip the beat. And when you join your life with his, you quickly discover. This is amazing. And those of you who are followers of Jesus, you know this. As imperfect as you are, you quickly discover when you join your life to Jesus, you realize that you were made for this beat. You were made for this relationship. You were made for this script. It's undeniable in those moments. So in a moment, I'm going to pray with you. But before we do, we're going to sing a song that kind of sums up everything we've been talking about this weekend. And I'd invite you to maybe, if you don't know the words, just to read them on the screen. But maybe even ask yourself, where do I fit in the script? And I'll come back and pray with you as we sing about the Father's love for not just me, not just you, but everyone in this world. Make sure you don't miss a message by subscribing to this podcast. All creative content and production for this podcast is provided by the One Church Creative Team.